Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you walk us through the order that you issued this week? We started uh, issuing orders very quickly after the pandemic started in April. And like any other agency, business, or other organization, we have had a series of orders trying to uh, balance the safety of our citizenry with the pandemic risks. And as a result, the latest was, I believe, last Monday, where we called all jury trials off until uh, January 4th of 2021. It was basically, we had previously done this at the beginning of the pandemic uh, because we just didn't know how we were going to do all of these things. We didn't have the Zoom capability. We didn't uh, have in some of our courthouses that are old or ancient or um, even a decade old, don't have room to practice social distancing, et cetera. So we called off jury trials for a period of time. Then we uh, worked hard to come up with uh, some sort of standard where we felt it was safe to have people come into uh, courthouses to have jury trials. Uh, as a result, uh, since the huge outbreak in the last four to six weeks, uh, we have again halted all jury trials. Uh, it's a complex issue to present a jury trial. Number one, the people that are coming there are being ordered there. It's not like going into your grocery store where you have a choice. Uh, then we have the physical constraints of our, of our older courthouses, even our newer courthouses, because you've got to bring in a group of 50 to 60, 70, 80 people who are then called down to the 12 who will hear the case. And that takes a significant amount of space, uh, people in and out. Um, and um, we just don't wish to risk court personnel, i.e. clerks, uh, as well as the jurors themselves. So we've called off jury trials again until January 4th. Can you tell me about the metrics that you use to decide that, you know, it's not just about the high number of cases, but it just wasn't safe to do this right now in, in most of these counties? Well, and I, I have to refer to my notes because of the metrics. First of all, how did we come up with them? Uh, we talked with the Department of Health and Welfare, who we are <clears throat> working with uh, uh, on the new behavioral health initiative, the governor, the legislature, and the department, and ourselves. And as such, we've got a great relationship with Director Jepson. In addition, we brought in uh, the National Center for State Courts, had information that they were putting out on a regular basis, and we brought in Dr. Pate who uh, we talked to for about an hour, and then the court continued to meet. I think we probably put in three or four more hours on a decision uh, as to how we would go about that. In the new order, uh, we've just held that the seven-day average, or the September 10th order, the seven-day average had to be less than uh, 25 new daily cases per 100,000 population. The September order also allowed a jury trial if it to be canceled if the county had a moving average 14 to 24 daily cases per 100,000 
as well as an upward or increasing 14-day trend. Now, the important concept here is since that has that rule took place, uh, the statewide moving average incident rate has increased to 57.9. Uh, that is a 335% increase from September 13th to uh, November 8th. Additionally, uh, when we first started using that uh, standard, uh, there were about 91% of the counties that could hold a jury trial. On uh, November 5th, that was down to 5%. In other words, basically two counties, based on that metric, could hold a jury trial. Uh, it was futile to try to risk everyone's uh, health in that regard. How confident are you that it's going to be at that safe case rate by January 4th? We will, of course, talk to the experts um, uh, throughout the state. We will talk to our administrative district judges. Um, and uh, before we make that decision, personally, I just think it will be a county by county analysis. In fact, that's one of the problems that we faced with this. Every Thursday, we would review the metric for trials on Monday. Well, lawyers would come in, they'd get their witnesses ready. That metric would say, you can't have a jury trial, cancel it. There was a lot of stress on our court personnel, our clerks, our bailiffs, uh, the lawyers, participants. And as a result, uh, uh, another reason for canceling uh, all jury trials. But do I personally think that we will be able to hold uh, unmitigated jury trials in January? No. At best, we can go back to our September 10th uh, order and um, continue to use those uh, standards uh, for case-by-case -case analysis throughout the state based on county um, infection rates. You know, pre-COVID, the most recent numbers that I found showed that about two-thirds of detainees were there, uh, were pre-trial detainees. Do we have any idea how many people who are currently incarcerated are awaiting trial who are going to be uh, detained through the holidays without any hope of getting a jury trial before January? Uh, <clears throat> Another complex answer, um, I think I have to set a background. When we've, the nation is already examining pretrial detention of individuals who are presumed innocent. Yes, there's been probable cause that they committed a crime, but they're still presumed innocent. Uh, historically, we have used cash bail in that regard. Um, nationally, courts are, and legislatures are looking at that as to whether it's too expensive as well as too much of an impact on certain areas of our citizenry. Come to Idaho, uh, one of the things that we have done uh, immediately upon the uh, COVID pandemic was we encouraged our judges to look at pretrial techniques. We encouraged them to use every technique possible that could be um, home monitoring, it could be ankle bracelets, it could be a real analysis of 
what the real risk of this individual was out in the community. Uh, we were criticized in that regard. I have uh, by some, and that's fine. But uh, we tried to encourage and educate our judges to work on that reduction. Has it been successful? Not 100%. I think we have shown improvement. But uh, we, are, we are vitally aware of the danger uh, to uh, not only the persons who are presumed innocent, but also those that have been convicted. I just saw a study in Texas, I believe, where it is alleged that 80% of the people who died of COVID uh, disease while they were incarcerated had not been convicted yet. Uh, we have a couple of things happening. Number one, jury trials. They aren't taking place. Number two, that packs up the, the jail. You use pretrial release mechanisms, but if you can't have a jury trial at some point, uh, you're just going to have to keep packing people in there for protection of society. And uh, it is a one of those things that the pandemic has basically given us no easy choice, no easy fix. Among many, among many. Is there a concern that uh, detainees who would otherwise want a jury trial will be will feel pressured to accept plea deals that they wouldn't otherwise. One of the things that we did do, and, in, and it's in this order in, uh, uh, that we just put out, we have asked, number one, we said misdemeanors, there's, there's mandatory mediation in misdemeanor cases. Uh, so we are hoping that judges are using mediation, prosecutors are using mediation, uh, defense counsel are using mediation in good faith in misdemeanor cases. Secondly, as concerns felonies, um, it's a more complex uh, situation, much more public risk, much more uh, at stake in terms of the jury trial. Um, there is always pressure on a defendant who sits in jail to come to some resolution of their case whether or not it is an unreasonable pressure will probably be litigated in the future uh, when the pandemic is, is, uh, is under control. It's not gonna be over. It may be under control at some point. And that'll be an issue that we will have to look at in our rearview mirror. <clears throat> we don't have any statistics at this time in Idaho, nor have I heard of any nationwide. You know, and, and understanding that this isn't an Idaho-specific problem, is there uh, an issue here with the defendant's right to a speedy and public trial if these jury trials keep getting delayed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Number one, uh, there, are, there are huge, when I was with the water court, we would have a sub-basin come in 50,000 cases, and we'd have to bring it through the court. Well, we analogize that to the to the um, donkey in a snake, just this huge thing coming through the system. And our judges are vitally aware of it. They are very concerned about this, this uh, problem of the trials being backed up. I think I talked to a, a fairly rural judge who had 160 jury trials to take care of when the pandemic is somewhat under control. 
Um, it, it's going to be a huge problem. It is a huge problem for uh, uh, the defendants, the courts, everyone. Now, having said that, um, there is a statutory right to a uh, speedy trial, and the exception to it is, in fact, a pandemic. It's in the Idaho statutes. Then there is a constitutional analysis, both federal and state, as concerns the right to a speedy trial. And some of the case law seems to suggest that around a year that may kick in. Um, but uh, again, another situation that uh, there's no easy fix. It is a complex system. Uh, we will work through it. So yes, there is concern. I'm, I'm curious, in July, a fourth district judge ruled that people facing evictions have the right to a jury trial. How does this order affect people who are facing evictions, or do we know yet? Well, I think that's been appealed. Uh, if it hasn't, it's an issue that will come up to the court, so I can't speak specifically in that regard and don't want to. But what has Idaho's court done in terms of this eviction, again, another bubble, an eviction uh, throughout the nation. Uh, huge problem for many, many, not only low income, but middle class individuals in Idaho, as well as na nationally. <clears throat> so we as a court have taken a very strong position, <clears throat> please excuse me, that we will not um, amend Idaho's legislative prerogatives or the state statutes by taking unilateral action outside of our area of separation of powers. We have been under significant um, questioning, maybe even uh, pressure to act as some other courts have in other states, uh, entering ex parte orders, uh, basically amending their, their statutes. Idaho's Supreme Court will not do that, and I can't imagine they would ever do that. However, what have we done within our own sphere of influence? Uh, we have been very active, very aggressive in finding out what are the necessary defenses to these uh, evictions, making sure that our court assistance program forms that are on our website um, include those defenses. Uh, we have uh, tried to educate the people who use our uh, computerized forms as to their defenses. <clears throat> and um, so I think within our, our sphere, we've, we've tried to educate our judges as to some of the uh, issues that have arisen that we feel have been abuses of this, uh, legal abuses of this uh, situation. For instance, when uh, President Trump came out with the uh, uh, order to, uh, I guess, stop evictions. Uh, we sent out an immediate letter to all of our judges outlining the criteria for that act. I, I, I don't re remember what the name of it was, but uh, saying here's what this act really says. It was seen as a panacea by some media and other groups that it would stop all evictions. Well, it didn't. 
you could still be evicted for damage or for other reasons that are uh, available to landlords under the Idaho Code. Uh, you could not be evicted for a lack of payment. Uh, but you could only enter into that protection if, in fact, you filed a declaration. And that declaration had specific questions you had to answer under oath subject to perjury. Uh, so I'm not sure in the trial court how that went, but it, uh, we tried to educate our judges as well as uh, putting on our court assistance pro, uh, website uh, help for those individuals who might be able to need it. <clears throat> One last question. You're entering your final weeks of this term as Chief <laughs> Justice. Do you have any, first of all, congratulations. And second <laughs> of all, do you have any advice for the incoming Chief Justice, Richard Bevan? Again, a little background. When I was district judge in Twin Falls, Idaho, uh, Justice Bevan was the prosecutor who appeared in front of me every day. Uh, as I indicated, he is a man of significant, uh, he has an internal vision of excellence that very few people have, it seems to me, uh, both professionally and personally. Uh, he is not going to be Roger Burdick, thank God. But on the other hand, uh, he, will, he will do what is right for the court. He will support the court. He will be a, a remarkable spokesman for the court. I can't imagine that I could give him any guidance because I've seen him in the past. And then I've seen him as his uh, work has come to us because he was a district judge in Twin Falls, followed me on the bench in that regard. And uh, uh, remarkable district judge. He will be a remarkable chief justice. Um, and I would be, uh, I don't have enough arrogance to tell Rich Bevan to do anything, quite frankly. He's a great guy. You'll love him. <laughs> well, chief Justice Roger Burdick, thank you so much for your time. Can do. And thank you. Appreciate what you do.